Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Ryan Glover podcast with guests for the blueworldorder.com website. I'm of course Ryan Glover and the producer for this and every podcast is Jordan Taylor. You'll hear his perspective throughout each podcast and with the final segment of the podcast, Final Thoughts with JT, where me and Jordan will break down what the guest says for that specific podcast. Today's guest is a beat writer for the commercial appeal covering your Memphis Tigers, the one and only Jason Smith joins us. Jason, how are you this afternoon? Man, I'm doing good, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on, bro. No problem, Jason. Let's get right into it. Obviously, the Memphis Tigers have been under very much controversy this off se- this season, including, of course, Josh Pastor has been the main focus all season long. It's been, unfortunately, not the good talk that should be around Diedrich Lawson's freshman campaign and, of course, Shaq Goodwin's senior campaign, which both guys played outstanding against Tulsa this past weekend. So your overall thoughts before we specifically break down each segment about the season so far is it more as we've we given more talk into josh pastor than we should have or have we should have been talking about him all along because that's the biggest story or what do you think in this whole memphis media and the whole memphis tigers situation has been this season well i think I, no i think i think the story ryan is definitely is definitely josh pastor i think i think part of the reason is um because you know josh over the last over the last year a year and a half now has said look we're fine. Don't worry about the number of transfers. Uh, transfers happen. You know, it's going on in every school. The transfer rate is high across the country. Um, don't worry about the transfers. We'll get through it. We're, we're recruiting great players. Um, don't worry about this and that and, and, and this. And that's the thing is that now you've gotten to a point where now you're losing to South Florida. You're losing to East Carolina at home. You're losing to Tulane on the road teams you don't lose to. And so now it's not a matter of okay, well, you said don't worry about it. No, this this is on Josh Pastor, and, and he said it's on me. Um, but I do I, – I, there's no question that, yes, while there are players on this team that I think they expected more from, uh, I think we all expected more from, it all falls back, as, as, it, as it always does in, in, in all sports, on the coach. I, I don't think Josh would tell you any different. I think he would take responsibility. So specifically with the lineups, right? We finally saw Kedron Johnson and Ricky Tarrant Tulsa game this past Sunday afternoon. Uh, Josh said after the game that it was strictly because what Kedron did in the practice, not what he's done just because it was senior day. So obviously the shoulder injury hurt him a lot this season. That's why he didn't play. But if we're going to be honest, the last couple of months he's been completely healthy and we haven't heard anything otherwise about that shoulder injury. So why do you think Pastor didn't trust Kedron at all to give him that chance with Ricky Tarrant? Because if you knew you started with Ricky and Kedron, two senior leaders who have gone through everything inside the four years in their college programs that he shouldn't give them or that he basically shouldn't give them a try and see how those two coexist together do you think that was a little bit of stubbornness from josh pastor or he just wanted to basically keep the team that he's had throughout most of the season i think early on he was he was giving keaton the benefit of the doubt early on keaton had a you know after having a pretty good summer in terms of working out getting his weight down injured his shoulder and i think josh gave him the opportunity to get healthy on his own and to come back on his own when he was ready I think Kedron um, took advantage of that opportunity and, and laid out a lot longer than he should have, and in the process, blew back up in terms of his weight. And so when it was when it was actually time that when Josh actually needed him, at that point he wasn't ready. I blame I blame both sides for that. I blame Josh for allowing it to happen. I blame Kedron for letting it happen. Uh, but we've known this about Kedron that you know basketball isn't isn't his his motivator. Uh, his family is his motivator. His his, his music career is his motivator, and it, if you give Keaton an opportunity to kind of wiggle out of something, uh, it, it, in terms of as it relates to basketball, and in this sense, this team, uh, I think Josh gave him a little bit of an open door, and Keaton took it uh, and didn't, you know, as much work as he put in, in the summer, that stopped 
once the preseason hit. So uh, I blame both sides for the way that's worked out. I think it's unfortunate because, as we saw, as you pointed out, right against Tulsa, Kedron just with his IQ because he's a veteran, he's because he's played the game at a, at a relatively high level in the SEC. He knows what to do. And when he was out there against Tulsa, even with all the rust there in the first half, you know, he's cutting to the basket. He's making things happen. But having only played eight, you know, appeared in eight games this season. So I think it's unfortunate that it didn't work out and that, you know, Josh didn't hold him to that standard he needed to and that Kedron didn't follow through because if he had, you might have had a pretty good backcourt with Ricky and, and Kedron together. Yeah, quick follow-up on that. Obviously with Temple and East Carolina and, of course, the AAC tournament, all indications point to Kedron staying in the starting lineup for those two games? I think so. Just just, just, because, just off knowing Josh, yeah. usually if, something, if, he, if he feels like something's working, he sticks with it, and, and that usually means if the starting lineup wins the game, uh, not necessarily because of that starting lineup, but because because that – that lineup was there. He likes to. He's, Josh is superstitious, like most coaches are. So he'll usually roll with that same starting lineup again. So I think we could see it. I really do. Yeah. So then, like what we mentioned with those awful losses to South Florida, like we mentioned, then of course Tulane, people of those natures that you just wouldn't expect at all at a Memphis University for so many years. And of course, under John Calipari or Josh Pastor, it doesn't matter. You just don't expect those kind of losses. I think the biggest problem we've seen, Jason, is Pastor doesn't have that the, that go-to five down the stretch that he's going to know who's my five down the stretch. Like perfect example in the NBA, right? Golden State Warriors, who we all know, is they're always going to go small with Draymond Green, Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, Stephen Curry, and Klay Thompson. That's their closing five every single game out. And the, Steve Kerr has said to opposing coaches, come and try to stop it and come try to beat this team, which obviously it hasn't happened much this season. But I think Pastor's biggest problem is he doesn't know who his closing five is. Sometimes he plays Diedrich, sometimes he plays Shaq together, and we saw perfectly against Tulsa it worked out greatness because he had a great five core to end the game. But those games, like I mentioned with South Florida and Tulane, I think he just doesn't have that confidence in either five players that we're going to play these five this time and then we're going to stick with it and see what happens and then we're going to switch it to a whole new five another time. I just think that's killed the whole, you know, the rotations and the whole team mindset and some players mentally have been drained out because they don't know if they're playing at this specific time when the last game they were. I think there's, there's probably some truth to that. I, I do think that Josh knows that if he can, if everyone's, if they're all in terms of, you know, not in foul trouble, if Shaq Goodwin, Diedrich Lawson, and Ricky Tarrant aren't in foul trouble, he, most of the time Josh is going to have those guys on the floor. Now, with Ricky, it had it, it eased up a little bit where he was playing some Sam Kraft. He's playing some Jeremiah Martin, and it, at one point it moved Ricky over to over to the two. But to your point, if if Diedrich and Shaq are are not in foul trouble, he's got two out of the five. Josh knows two out of the five. But I agree with you that we are. It's amazing to me that we're this far into the regular season now with just two games left, and we're still seeing Craig Randall here, Jeremiah Martin there, some Sam Craft here, uh, even you know even Keedron Johnson for for as well as he played, yeah. just kind of popping up against Tulsa in that last game. And it's like you know Josh said this year, and it, and it feels like he said it every year, uh, and, and we've joked about this with him, but he said it every year, I'm, I'm going to tighten things up, going to tighten up the rotation, get down to seven or eight. Because that's you know that's what I do by the time it's tournament time. Well, well, you get to the kind of the point where where you're getting to that that area that you know that area of the season, and we're still seeing nine to eleven guys. So so I agree with you. It's you know the fact that they've they've kind of gone back to Craig Randall, see what they had. Now they've kind of laid off it now, you know, because Craig hadn't been hitting shots when he's in, but still a little Sam Craft sometimes, still a little bit of Jeremiah Martin. Who you you kind of know what you're going to get with Jeremiah if you've got a up and down you know frenetic pace. Jeremiah's good in those games. If you've got a half-court game, Jeremiah's probably not going to give you much. Um, but it's amazing to me that, that I'm with you, that he's continued to try different things here so late in the season. When you've got 
a pretty good top six or seven that you could roll with. The issue for Josh is that, you know, a, there's a TB, a Treshawn Burrell that's in that top six or seven. And sometimes, as much as you'd like to, and you look, you look at his numbers statistically, you haven't been able to depend on him because he's either, you know, going off on you, you know, verbally or having some issue with, with you know, running his mouth. Um, so, so I think that's it, part of part of the issue of not knowing what your five is or what your six or seven is at this point of the season is having to constantly, year after year, depend on guys, one-year guys, two-year guys that haven't been with you for four years that you don't really know as well as you would a four, three or four-year guy, and we're, they're having this, you know, they'll, they'll up and have an issue, and then all of a sudden they're suspended for a game. So. So it's, it's a number of things, uh, but I think it, it, it also goes back to you know, not having enough guys that have come up through your system that you've developed and that have been able to take the place of guys that have moved on before them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So we'll switch it over to a more brighter note, and then we'll get back to, of course, the more sour notes with Diedrich Lawson, who's had one of the best freshman campaigns in a Memphis uniform, obviously one double-double away from tying the record. So just what you thought, Jason, I think nobody at all would have thought this, and of course Josh didn't think this, that a guy who's still supposed to be a senior in high school would now is having this unbelievable freshman campaign. And now we've actually heard on the Twitter world that you know there's rumors about that he might leave early. I don't know if that's just a completely a rumor, so I wanted to get your thoughts about that. So what do you think about Diedrich and what do you think about this this freshman campaign that he's done so far I, I think it'd be a mistake to leave yeah absolutely. But also, I also think it'd be a mistake not to do your I said to someone else to, not to do your homework do your due diligence and find out I mean that's how it's set up now that prospects can can throw their name in in terms of doing the research seeing where they fall in terms of their draft potential and being able to come back to school I think Diedrich needs to do that I, I don't think there's any question about it he needs to see where he falls and I think what he's going to find out is that he's probably not even a guaranteed second rounder. And I don't know how you can leave when you're in that situation. I mentioned it earlier. Adonis Thomas, when he came out after his sophomore season, thought he was a fringe first rounder and thought that was that it was enough of a, a good enough risk to jump out there. Well, he ended up not getting drafted. And I think we've seen that that, that hurt Adonis. There's no question about it. I mean, he's, he's been right on the outside kind of looking in. He's got signed a couple of 10-day contracts, but hasn't been able to break in, I think, probably would have benefited from staying another year now that that's the issue is that if you're if you're not a if you're not a guaranteed first rounder you you better be careful because yeah. once you get in that second round you're talking about money that's not necessarily guaranteed uh and i just think common sense will tell you if you look at Dedrick lawson he needs another year from an athlete you know an athleticism standpoint from a from a working on his body and physicality standpoint you know another year of college you figure wow, the kid's got 14 double-doubles as a freshman, a kid who's supposed to be a senior in high school. What could he do with another year of college ball? You look at the draft this year, yeah, and you look at next year's, next year's is probably going to be deeper. But I think Dietrich's got a lot better chance of being a higher pick next year than he does this year. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that for sure. So more about the Josh Pastor situation, Jason. Obviously, it all started at the beginning before the season even started when we know, which we both agree, that obviously with Austin Nichols deciding to transfer really, really late to Virginia, that, that obviously was going to be a hurt to this team. But like we've mentioned, he's basically said now for these past couple of years we're fine because our recruiting will be fine. But the recruiting right. has not been there. Clearly, it's not been there, and it's not been up to the standards that we've expected here at the Memphis University. So I think we agree it wasn't fair how Austin dealt with that situation, how it basically put this team in this situation then but when we all figured it out and when we got to that conference play specifically what have you seen different now from this team do you see this team that actually believes in Josh Pastner because if you if I specifically look Jason I personally think against that two lane game 
they sort of gave up on him a little bit. And then the South Florida game, they they just weren't in it from you know they weren't in it from the whistle in. But then that SMU game, I think SMU was just more powerful. And then down the stretch, obviously, if Jeremiah Martin doesn't take that ill-advised three, we might be in, talking about a different outcome there. But specific games like that, how do you think this team is dealing with Josh Pastor? Are they behind him 100%? What do you think? Um, I think it's been up and down. I, I'm I'm with you that I saw the same thing um, both again against South Florida against Tulane, and I saw, you know, a team laughing on the sideline when Shaq, Shaq gets the, the tech on the Vince Carter dunk and chest bumps TV. I see a team laughing on the sideline. It looks like a team that said, man, forget this. We're just going to finish it our way and play out the string. Uh, I, that's what it looked like at South Florida, you know, later on after that. But, again, I'm with you that the effort was back against SMU. And, pro, you know, it, it was obviously there against Tulsa on Sunday. So it's been an up-and-down thing. It hasn't been all the way gone. And, he, you know, he hasn't all the way had it either. I think early this year he had it. I don't think there's any question. Um, but at some point, um, there's no question that he's had problems keeping them with him. Um, that's, that's the biggest issue. That's been Josh's biggest issue, I think, for his entire career. It's, it's, it's finding a way to motivate guys. I mean, that's, that's what you want in a college coach. It's not just finding a way to motivate them, but also putting them in the best spot to succeed. And those have been Josh's challenges is finding ways to motivate guys, whether it's fear, uh, whether it's respect. It's getting them to do what you need on that, you know, actually what's best for them, what's actually best for their careers and best for the team. It's getting them to do that without questioning it, without, without, without talking back. And you see these constant issues of like a TB that it's, it's repeated. It happens over and over, and you wonder, what well, is the message getting through? And, and when you see those repeated instances, you just, well, maybe it, it, it doesn't look like it is. And that's got to be an issue that, that he's got to figure out. I think that's one of the issues for him that whether he's a coach here at Memphis next year or a coach somewhere else, or well, whether it's on down the line for him, those are issues in terms of motivating guys uh, that he's got to find a way to, to break through. So now to the season in general. Two games left, like I mentioned, tomorrow night at Temple. Then, of course, Sunday, finishing off against East Carolina. 7-9 and nine in the conference. They finished underneath 500 first time since 1999-2000. They've done that. So, obviously, Temple statistically and basically in the position right now to win the uh, season se- season regular season title for the American Athletic Conference. So your thoughts about tomorrow's game against Temple? We've, we know Temple's a very gritty team. Memphis pulled it out a 67-65 victory early on in the season. So your thoughts about that Temple game tomorrow? Well, just watch Shaq Goodwin. I mean, for some reason, and I'm writing about it for tomorrow, Shaq Goodwin has had career nights against Temple. I think he's averaging like 17 and 12, almost, maybe almost 18 points a game and 12 rebounds a game uh, in five career games against Temple. If he scores 20 Tigers uh, against Temple, the Tigers are 3-0. If he doesn't, they're 0-2. Uh, so he'll be a big barometer in terms of what's going to happen in that game. Uh, he loves that matchup with Bond. Yeah. He always takes it. You know, Bond is a 6'8", 240-pound guy. You know, big rebounder, big strong guy, but doesn't move as well as Shaq. And he's always taken advantage of that matchup when he's had it. Uh, the other thing you got to watch is Temple from three-point range. I mean, that's the that's the other that's the other thing with them. They lead the AAC eight threes a game. If you let them go off from three, they can they can make it. A, you know, they can run you out of the gym pretty pretty early. It'll be senior night for Temple, as Josh mentioned. You know, they got Quentin DeCozy, who we haven't mentioned, who's a an AAC Player of the Year candidate. You know, top five in scoring the AAC. You know, guy that can pretty much do it all, averaging about 15 points a game. He's a senior. Bond's a senior. They'll all be pumped up. And that's the issue for Memphis is over these next two row games is is they'll be, you know, kind of the, the, the meat on the platter on senior nights for, for Temple 
And for an East Carolina team that, you know, you look at and say, well, hell, they're going to go in there and beat Carolina. Well, East Carolina's already come in here and won at FedEx Forum, so you can't just chalk that up as a W. Uh, so Memphis, I, I say all that to say, you know, you're going to be the, the, the senior night guy, the homecoming kind of opponent. You're going to need to bring the energy early because you know these teams are going to be coming after you. So let's say hypothetically they win the next two games, 18 and 13, finish 9 and 9 in the conference. We hear his press conference against Tulsa this past Sunday, feeling very confident. Like he keeps saying, he hasn't heard anything from his three guys and who are on top of him about his job security going forward. So Jason, if he finishes 18 and 13, 9 and 9 in the conference, say he does a deep run into the AC tournament, and say he loses in the semifinals or the finals to say Temple or UConn, what do you think? Is he here next season, or is he gone? Mm, with that scenario, I'd, I'd, I'd say he's gone. I don't, I don't think he's, he would have done enough to change, um, you know, what, how the fans are feeling about him. Um, it, it, you know, from, from what you're saying, in finishing semifinals, there's a good chance you don't get in the NIT yeah. off that um, from, from the scenario you just put in. And I'm not sure if that Vegas tournament invites him or not, to tell you the truth. So I, I don't know that Memphis, you know, that would be a second straight missed postseason. I'm not saying Josh, would, des- from a record standpoint, would deserve to be fired, but from a how much money he's making and from the attendance that's fallen and would threaten to fall again next year if you brought him back after another, you know, disappointing season like the way this one would end, the way you just said, I don't see how you could bring him back. Financially, I don't see how – how how the university could you, it would lose so much, it would be you'd be you'd be almost in a position that where you'd be losing so much more money than it would cost to fire him and, and hire a new guy. So no, if it ends that way, um, I don't see how Josh comes back. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see that. So you think he has to win that American Athletic Conference to get the automatic bid to get to the NCAA tournament? Then maybe does he have to win a couple of rounds, or does he just have to get into the postseason? I think he's got to get there. Okay. I think he, I think he's got to get there. If if you you know. Sure. Let's let's say he wins it. Let's say he wins the AAC tournament, he gets the NCAA tournament, but loses in the first game because they're probably not going to be a very good seed. Yep. I would imagine a double-digit seed, yep. uh, as, even as the auto qualifier. You know, you you if you if 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 Memphis fires Josh after he makes the NCAA tournament, what five out of seven seasons? That's t- that's tough to do. And I and I here's here's the dilemma though. Is it enough to is, is making the NCAA tournament enough for the fans? Probably not. They want a Sweet 16. They're tired of going to the NCAA tournament and losing. You know, and it, let's be what it is: first, second round, not making it to the second weekend. So, would they come back for it? I still don't think so. But it'd be a PR nightmare on yeah. Memphis. I mean, they'd have a nightmare on their hands nationally if they fired a coach who's made the tournament in five out of seven seasons, including the one you fired him on. Um, that would be it, it put Memphis in a tough spot I'll tell you that right yeah I definitely agree with that for sure Jason so Obviously, the whole fan base has been the biggest question mark. Obviously, they barely got the um, tickets on that last game because of senior day. Obviously, they got the football coach, Coach Norvell, in there to sign some autographs to obviously help with the PR there, like we mentioned. So was there any scare whatsoever, Jason, that you think that the Tigers can actually lose this lease in the FedEx Forum? They might have to play, say, at the El Marone Fieldhouse in a couple of years, or do you think the Tigers and the Grizzlies figure this out and they still get to play in the FedEx Forum? I, I know it's laughable to think about, but I can I can just see a picture well, of that right be. now. I mean, I, I mean, I guess, you know, if, if it had, you know, you've gone another year like that you got to start you got to start thinking in serious terms but no i think i think uh i think they'll get this thing worked out uh the question is again if you if 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 you continue the way things are things continue the way they are you bring back the same coach how do you keep the attendance from dropping off again and being back in that same boat of needing 
you know, to stay above 6,000, you could be right back in that same boat. And I, I tell you what, if, you, if it's when you don't hit 6,000 for two years in a row that you're in trouble, well, you know, you, you, obviously you're not, you didn't do that this year, but you'd be flirting with it next year if this team doesn't make some kind of miraculous run um, and, and you bring Josh Pastner back off that. Uh, if you bring in a new coach, who knows? Maybe, maybe the butts are all back in seats and you don't, like, again, you don't worry about that ever again. Uh, but I do think, I, I, you know, the Grizzlies need Memphis in that in that building. They they need they they need Memphis in that building uh, just to make it. You know that that's the way the whole thing was planned when they when they when they put the thing together. And and sure, the Grizzlies could probably survive without the Tigers in it. But but they're just as they're they're just as helpful to the Grizzlies in, the, in that instance as the Grizzlies have been to the Tigers. So last question, Jason, before we let you go out here. Obviously, like we mentioned, hypothetically, say they regardless they finish, you know, nine and nine in the conference and they make the automatic bid just because they won the AAC tournament. But say Pastor still does get fired, the biggest the biggest person that we've all heard, of course, is Penny Hardaway. Is that is that is that basically the guy that you think Memphis would center in on, or do you think they would want to go in the college route or NBA route or an ex coach, or is Penny Hardaway? Do you think he, he's the guy if Passner gets fired? Uh, I'm a little torn on this one, Ryan. I think okay. you got to do your homework. You know, Penny would be a would be a a quick fix. Uh, he'd get butts in seats next year. He 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 knows how to coach the Lawsons. He coached them with his AAU team. Uh, he could probably recruit. I'm sure. The thing you have to ask yourself about Penny is his commitment level. Penny is a private guy. Uh, there, there hardly is any privacy when it comes to being the University of Memphis basketball coach. You can ask Josh Pastner about that, and Josh has been great about it. Uh, you don't know how others who have been used to having the privacy will react when that spotlight, when that scrutiny is always on them. I think Michael Wilson made a great point about Penny, former Tiger Michael Wilson, that you know, you're talking about going from possibly one of the most beloved guys in town to potentially one of the most hated if you stay in the game for a while. So. While I do think Penny would be a good quick fix, I, qu- I question whether it, how long it would work, and, and, I, and, I, and I question his commitment level to it. So I think because of that, you have to look at in other avenues. You have to look in other directions, and um, and because you're going to have to, in this instance, probably pay Josh Pastner a heck of a lot of money, you're going to need to do it efficiently. You're going to need to find someone that, that can maybe do it for less than a million and a half, maybe for even less than a million. Uh, because this university, as we know, this athletic department is strapped for cash. It's an athletic department that's trying to put together $40 million in facilities uh, that's already tapped out its boosters and one that's going to have to pay out a huge buyout uh, if that's the way this thing goes with Josh. So it's going to be strapped on that end to pay for its next coach. It's going to need a guy that doesn't have to pay a lot of money to. Penny falls in that category, but I still think you, you have to look at all your options um, before, you, before you go deciding that Penny's the guy. Well, Jason, thank you so much for giving us your perspective this afternoon. Of course, safe travels to Temple tomorrow night. And, of course, enjoy the game. And thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jordan. So, Jordan Taylor. We're here again for the final thoughts with Jordan Taylor. So, obviously, he doesn't seem that confident about Penny Hardaway if Pastor does get fired to be the next head coach. He thinks that his commitment level will be in question there. So, what are your thoughts about that? about Penny Hardaway and possibly maybe not being the next head coach, which we've seen throughout now all season long. If Pastor got fired, that was the guy everybody thought would be the next guy. I think a bi- I think the biggest thing for Penny would be the, the recruitment level. Like, I think he could bring a lot of guys in. Like, he could get some of those transfers. He could get some, some big names to sign to Memphis. Like, the thing that I worry about with Penny, like you said, is the commitment and also is like, do we trust Penny to – 
to be the head guy holding that clipboard, drawing up the X and O's for a college team. It's like I'm I'm used to him to running that AAU team. I know he's been very successful in Memphis. He's he's a great head coach, but it's a different thing dealing with the, with college guys. Like we, that's been the criticism with Pastor too, right? He can go into the living room and talk to guys and be really nice guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. We can't question that about Josh Pastor, but his X's and O's has been dreadful down right. the stretch. Penny Hardaway, I think, can walk into any room, to any kid's room anywhere in America. It doesn't have to be here in Memphis. Anywhere in America and say, I'm Penny Hardaway, come play basketball for me. And mm-hmm. I think some kids will probably, most kids would say yes, right? right? But like you said, down the stretch, you're down by one, need a bucket. Can you trust Penny Hardaway to drop a play? Right. Maybe you give Penny that title, but you give the clipboard to Damon Stoudemire. I think regardless <laughs> if it's Pastner or whoever the next coach is, they have to keep Damon Stoudemire. Yes. I think he might be in consideration regardless if it's not um, Penny Hardaway. He should be the next head coach for Penny, mm-hmm. like you said, a little – a and, like A and B, right? One right. A, one B. Let let Penny do the recruiting, but let Stoudemire do the X's. And I think right. that would be very perfect for both sides there. I agree. So would you rather have that or just, just give the whole thing to Damon Stoudemire? That's the question. Does Damon, does, is Damon Stoudemire at the same level as Penny Hardaway? They've both played in the NBA. They've both been successful in the NBA. But I, we can both agree Penny's had more success outside mm-hmm. the NBA, more fame, obviously his own shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Penny Hardaway. But Damian Sotomayor is a very great, you know, decent ball player in his time, and he's, and he's proven that. Well-respected well, now. Yeah, well-respected. I think it's, he's more like a Tyron Lue, right? Yeah. A, lo- a lot of guys who don't think about the NBA doesn't think of Tyron Lue right off the bat. But you right. talk to any, every player, they knew who Tyron Lue was, and they respected him. Yeah. So I agree. Does Damon walk into a room with the same caliber as Penny Hardaway and say, come play for me at the University of Memphis? That's a question. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. That's why I think it would be great if you had, like you said, that one A – one B scenario yeah. where you give where you give a penny the priority of recruiting and bringing guys in. You give Damon the clipboard. He's drawing up the plays. So your final, I get, I put Jason on the spot. Got to put you on the spot. Tigers win both games against Temple and East Carolina this weekend, and they don't win the AAC tournament, and they're most likely not getting a postseason berth in any NIT or whatever. Is he fired, Josh Pastner? If it was me. Yes. Okay. If he wins the American Athletic Tournament and gets an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament and loses in the second round, is he fired? Again, if it was me, yes. So he's fired regardless. I don't care what Passner does. He's out of there. Man, it's not about this season. It's a build-up to me, and I think that's what it is for the fans. Like he said, like even if they do get to the NCAA tournament again, man, I'm not forgetting about what, what the past few years have been like. Like We've had this same problem over and over again. Why would I, and if he does get that far, it's not going to be because of him. Yeah. It's going to be because somebody got hot. Somebody just started playing well and led our team that deep. Right? I'm not going to give him the credit when we've been, we've been giving him the blame, obviously, throughout yeah. this season, like well-deserving blame. So, no, he, he's gone no matter what to me. I would probably agree with that, but like Jason said, it would be a PR nightmare. Five out of seven seasons he makes the NCAA tournament and you still fire him? That would be like headline news across the entire nation of the college basketball scene. Whose opinion do they care about more, the nations or their fan base? Probably the fan base, yeah. 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 So I agree. It's going to be very interesting to see. Thank you so much to Jason Smith for joining us today on the Ryan Gler Podcast with guests. And, of course, Jordan Taylor throughout his entire eight podcasts we've done already. Can you believe, Jordan, we are two away? From double-digit podcasts, I think we would never be Man, doing. Man, it went here. by so fast. It went by so fast, and we've got big-time guests lined up. Hopefully, in the coming weeks, so get tuned for that. Thank you so much to Anthony Sand and BlueWorld.com for putting us in this situation. Me and Jordan are having a blast. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.